We believe that. Hallelujah. He causes us to remember his wonderful works, the New Living says. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. Wow. I'm believing that this year for you and for us. You say, I don't know how he's going to do it. You don't have to understand the how. We just need to focus on the the who. Just trust God and learn to make room for God. Look to your neighbor and say, make room for God. Come on, shout, make room for God. Look to your neighbor and say, you need to help me because we need to make room for God. In your life, in your routine, praise God, you hear the place is packed. I'm excited to see that. But we want to see, see God make us make room for God in our routines. On Sundays, praise God. But even on Mondays when you're at work. Or Tuesdays when you're in a sales meeting. Or Wednesdays when you might be in a board meeting. Or Thursday when you're dealing with a problem. We want to live in that rhythm like that widow did, and she began to move into a posture to pour. That's just some, some of the things that's come out over this past few weeks, a posture to pour. So that we're always in a place of receiving, but also in a place of seeing God do the impossible. Because, Lord just reminded me, because one of the thoughts that came out of that is that the weight of the miracle was so big, she could never receive it in a position of receiving. You know, a lot of times we just need to stay in a position of receiving, and that sounds good. But in that case, the widow woman could not receive the weight of all that God was wanting to do in the miracle. Because the weight of the miracle would be too heavy for her to handle. And so he positioned her to a posture of pouring so that the miracle would work with the little pot she could handle. See, God didn't ask you to carry the tin pots he's filling. He just asked you to hold the little pot that he's using. Do you sense that? Do you feel that? He didn't ask you to carry the weight of all that he's, wanting you, that he's wanting to bring into your life. He just asked you to hold on to what you can handle in a position to pour, and he's going to pour through you. And when it's done, you look back and say, wow, what do I, what do I need to do now? And someone will say, here's wisdom. Take it to the city, sell it, and live on all the rest. Not only pay your debts, but live on all the rest, which is way more than she even asked for. Because our God is an all-sufficient guy. He, God, he's an El Shaddai. He's a cup-running-over type of God. And I believe that if she would have kept in that position of poor, not only would she had her debt paid, not only would she had been blessed, but she would have blessed the whole city. She would have blessed every, every place she would have gone, that oil would have kept pouring. Why? Because God didn't run out. God didn't run out. Her expectation and understanding of what God was doing changed, and her understanding was if there's no place to receive it in the confines of this room, then I guess I'm done and God's done. But God is a God of more than enough. If she would have said that we've ran out of places to pour it, but I'm going to stay in a position to pour, let's see what God can do. I believe that oil would have poured out on the ground, that pour, and after a while, it would have built up, and after a while, it had poured through the door. It would have gone down the steps. It would have gone down the road. It would, people would be like, what is going on? Someone's wasting some oil. We can sell that. And they would say, you don't understand. They've hit oil in a whole different other level. They have struck oil like no one's ever seen before. Get your buckets. Let's all get us some, because we can sell it and pay off our debts too. Amen. And we can be blessed and live on the rest. Our, yeah, I mean, imagine. Uh, it's one thing 
thing to be blessed, but Genesis 12, 2 says God wants you to be a blessing. It's another thing to have your needs met and you're feeling comfortable. It's another thing to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to stay in a position to pour so that God can do what he's doing in me, but through me to other people. So other people can be happy. Other people can have joy. Other people can be delivered. Other people can have peace. Other people can be blessed. Other people can be healed. Are you listening to me? And we live, and I believe that's some, something that's just not in this house, but God's going to use around the church world. But we will be an example. I want to be a poster child. How about you? For the kingdom of God, for the glory of God that says, wait a minute, here's a group of people in St. Louis that all of a sudden people are like, what are they doing? Because something's changing, not only in their life, but they stay in a position. God is using them at work, in the neighborhoods, at restaurants, at stores. Why? Because we stay in a posture to pour. Because what God wants to do in your life, you can't carry the weight of the miracle. It's too big for you to handle. But it's not big and it's not too big for God to let it pour through you to other people. Can I and you're gonna be blessed too as a result? Can I get an amen? I'm saying we're gonna stay in a posture to pour. Hallelujah. He is a good God. He is the God of more than enough. Some of us are looking for another bucket. God's saying, just turn the bucket you have. Some of us are looking for another supply. Just give me the little boy's lunch that you have. Let me use what you have, and I will use with what you have. And Come on. And by the time I get done, you can't handle. No one can handle the weight of the food that it would take to feed 5,000 men, that county women and children. Let's say they're all married, and they probably weren't. Let's say they all had one child, and they probably had more. You're talking at least 10,000. Can you imagine? I know with our free grocery store and how God's blessed it, and the pallets, I mean, sometimes we'll get calls, and we'll get 37, 40, 50 pallets at a time. And that's truck after truck after truck after truck, the blessing of God coming in. And it comes in, people are like, tell us how you got it. We're not telling everything to everybody. Come on, somebody. And, you know, it takes an army of people to unload those pallets, sort them, and put them on the shelves so we can feed people on Sundays and Mondays and throughout the week. So there is no way a little boy could handle the weight. There's no way 12 disciples could handle the weight. They could not hold the container of his miracle. But they could be a part of the process. And when they look back, they can see all that God has done. We want God to bring it all in our hands, and it doesn't work like that. You can't carry the weight of all his goodness he wants to bring into your life. But if you let him do it his way, you'll look back and see, surely goodness and mercy has followed me. Oh, we preach that in the church, and I, in my opinion, you can argue with in your mind if you want with me. We have preached that for years in the church world, and we have taken that look. Goodness and mercy is trying to catch you. Listen, it didn't say goodness and mercy will ever catch you. If you use that scripture from goodness and mercy, follow the text of what it's saying. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, which means if it's going to catch you, it don't catch you till you die. Because that's all the days of your life. But it's not saying that it's chasing you down. Oh, goodness and mercy, it's chasing me down. It didn't say it's chasing you. If it's chasing you and never gets to you, what's that benefit to you? You just missed them. 
I'm trying to get a hold of this person. You just missed them. I'm trying to meet this person. They just left. That's no good. There's no connection there. It's not that they're chasing you to connect with you. It's that they're chasing you that in the sense of they're behind you all the days of your life because it's flowing from you, goodness and mercy. You're not waiting for goodness and mercy to show up in your life. It already resides on the inside of you. Why? Because you're in a posture to pour. And wherever you go, the weight of what God, are you listen, I, that is sensitive in my spirit. The weight of the goodness of God that he wants to bring to you, he can't give it into the hands of you holding it because it would crush you. It's too big for you to handle on your own. But it's not too big for God to pour through you and let goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Even in the Old Testament, the Hebrew for the word glory is kabod, the weightiness of God. He's too good for us to handle. And yet we have to learn to make room for what God wants to do in us, but, through, but also through us. If that would a woman would have held that pot, as a lot of Christians do, okay, God, I'm ready to receive. And they are emotionally encouraged, but life never changed. Sometimes we got to look and say, what is different in that situation? What are we not doing right? Because God is the God of more than enough. Maybe it's not, Lord, I'm just waiting to hold on with my little bucket. Again, that food was so heavy that they couldn't even contain it. The fragments after they all ate was still 12 containers. Now, some people think that that went to the disciples. I don't think they went to the disciples. They were part of the distribution, but they weren't the one who started the miracle. I believe each, each container went into the hands of the disciples. Now, this is just my view. You can disagree, and it's all cool. It has nothing to do with salvation. I believe that each disciple was required to carry one basket to the little boy's house because the principle of the kingdom is that if you sow you shall reap mark 10 30 that if you give to me and the kingdom you will receive a hundredfold return so in my imagination i just see a little boy going come on guys the house is this way They might not treated children culturally correctly as a, a valuable person in society in those days, but that day, it was a different day. That day, I bet he had a swagger. I bet he had a strut. Come on, men. I'll show you where I live. Follow me. They didn't follow children those days. They did that day. They didn't take direction from children in those days. They did that day. And I believe they, they were like, come on. This is my imagination. Little boy, they get down the road, and people are like, what's going on? That's Jesus' disciples. Look at all that food. Where did they get all that food? What's in that basket? Like some of our, uh, our volunteers and a team that work in the grocery store, all these pallets come in, and you're like, what's in those boxes? Because you don't always know them. They're probably like, what's in that basket? Where do they get fruit like that? We don't grow fruit like that. We don't know what was in that basket. Who knows? Maybe it was just the, the fish and the bread multiplied. Who knows? Well, let's just stick with fish and bread. Where did they get? Who caught all those fish? 
who baked all that bread? And I can only imagine the little boy's running in, had a little swagger, walked into his house. His mom's saying, what are you doing? Oh, over here, guys. What's, what did you do? Where did this food come from? It came from Jesus. Over here. Put it on that shelf. How do you mean it came from Jesus? I just gave him my lunch, Mom. Honest. Just gave him my lunch. He, he need, Jesus needed something to work with, and I just gave him my little. And he turned it and fed so many people, I couldn't even count. I'm not even at the age to count that high yet. That's next year. When I get into that kind of math. And then he told disciples to follow me. And this is, he said, this is the reward for participating. This is the reward for me giving. Because mom's like, probably went from a lot of joy. Like, we'll eat, we're going to eat tonight. (laughs) Then probably thought, where are we going to store all this food? And they probably had a huge block party. Come on, somebody. You're like, it doesn't work that way. It did that day. I want to get that in your spirit. When the devil tells you, oh, it doesn't work that way, say, well, this day. You getting blessed because you you sowed into a ministry that's feeding people or preaching the gospel or seeing over 200 Filipinos get saved and water baptized. You, You think you're going to get anything out of that? You came out with less. Not this day. This day, maybe other days, but not this day. You mean someone prayed for you and you're expected a healing? That don't usually work. Maybe not those days, but not th- this day. Come on, somebody. This day's a different day. You're going to walk away with a swagger today in Jesus' name. People are like, where'd you been? You, you're walking the smile on your face. Well, I know. I know something. Today's a different day. God is doing the, the impossible. Why? Because we are making room. We are making room for God. Say, I'm making room for God. That means he's going to do the impossible beyond my ability to contain it, beyond my ability to handle. All I got to do is stay in position, pour, receive it. Let me give you some practical things. How can we make room for God in our lives? And I think this is interesting in context because in my own personal time, this phrasing jumped into my spirit, make room for God. Then I was told later that in the youth meeting, someone made that comment. And then I just looked at the, while we're doing worship, I noticed that was one of the songs today. Okay, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Making room for God. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need more time, say, wait. In a few seconds, just put your finger there and act like you're there. Close up your Bible and no one will know. That's a tool of the trade. So you don't have to go to your index. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you that you are the God of the impossible. I thank you that you do things that so far exceed our understanding. I thank you that we have chosen not to position ourselves only in a receiving position because we can't handle all that you are and all that you want to do in our lives. But I thank you, Father God, the greatness of your goodness, the weight of your goodness is pouring not only in us but through us. I thank you that I'm speaking to people that just haven't come to church today, but we are looking at 
uh, mountain moving people. I'm speaking to people that are about to change history, that are about to change the world, that are about seeing their life change, not because of man, but because of what you are doing as we begin to dare to believe and make room for you. Father God, I ask by the power of your spirit, reveal your truth to our life. And I thank you that anything that would hinder us from believing and expecting and act upon the greatness of who you are in your word will be removed in Jesus' name. Let the word spoken not be my words, but let them be the word from the spirit of God and the word of God spoken and clearly articulated with the understanding that we can receive and hear what you want us to receive from heaven today. And we give you praise. And everyone said, Mark's gospel chapter five. If you don't have a Bible or iPad or iPhone or Android, or you can look to the screen and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood for 12 years, verse 25, and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but grew worse. It's a King James translation. But when she heard of Jesus, came in and pressed behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be made whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about the press and said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, You see the multitude thronging us and saying, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her that had been done of this thing. But the woman feared. And the interesting, I don't want to go down this road too much, but this just grabbed my attention. He looked around to see her that had done this thing. He, Jesus, in, there's a spiritual side. He is God, but he's also man. And in the divinity of his Godhead, he, he sensed the virtue of healing power flow through, out of him. But within the confines of humanity, he wasn't sure who, who made the draw. But there was still a, a drawing happening. And looked around to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and, and fell down before him and told him all the truth and said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. That little phrase there right there is, is your debating argument, not that you should argue. I discourage argument. I used to love arguing. I was good as a kid. I would argue with adults. And in fact, I got to a place I was so comfortable that to me it was like a chess game. I liked the maneuvering. You know what I mean? Always moving in the thought and idea and redirecting. And in fact, I got to where I enjoyed arguing so much because I would get in trouble as a kid. But as I got older, I, I would love to argue so much that I would take positions that I knew were wrong. Because you didn't have truth on your side. At that point, it was just purely skill set of your ability to debate and argue and to beat the person you're debating with until the Holy Spirit dealt with me about not doing that. And that happened when I was in a Nazarene class and I actually cornered the teacher and caught him. I had him, but I almost jeopardized his job. And the Lord really dealt with me on, I mean, you can win an argument, but at the end, did it change anything? Yeah. Or did you hurt somebody? Yeah. But if anybody ever tells you that God doesn't heal anymore, just read this verse. Because he didn't say the gifts of the Spirit healed you. He didn't say, my power. he said, your faith has made you whole. So if healing is no longer available, then that means faith is no longer working. And if faith is no longer working, you can't be saved because we are saved by grace through faith. 
And if faith is no longer available to work in this dimension of this day and age, then you can't please God. Because Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yes. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of that plague. She was not only healed, she was made whole. Amen. Things that help us to make room for God, for he is the God of the impossible. Number one, in that text, it says that she heard. Say she heard. What did she hear? She heard about Jesus. How do we make room? Begin to hear what God is saying about himself. Hear Listen to the word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I feel so discouraged today. Well, listen, get the word in your ears. If it's, you know, I mean, the apps today, you can listen to someone read the Bible. There's so many preachers out there, but make sure they're a good, anointed, Bible-based preacher. Because not everybody who is talking should be listened to. Everybody with opinion shouldn't have a voice in your life. You get on some of the socials and you start scanning through, you'll find all kinds of crazy ideas. I mean, you're like, really? And if you don't have the foundation of the word, it can get confusing. I mean, Jesus told the disciples, beware of the teaching, or loving the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because the wrong teaching can really create more havoc in your life. So it's just not listening to anybody. You need to get, make sure they're Bible-based, anointed of God. I know Bishop so-and-so. Yeah, but Bishop so-and-so might not be right. Challenge everything with the Word of God. We've all been around where Bishop so-and-so was so big and so high and mighty. All of a sudden, where are they the next uh, 10 years later? Titles don't define truth. The Word defines truth. The Word defines the truth. We honor people. We respect people. But we challenge every idea. We bring into captivity every thought that tries to rise up against the knowledge of God. So challenge it. But we get the word. Listen to the word. Listen to the word. She was hearing. One of the things I guarantee you thing that she was hearing is that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you understand the importance of that, in Malachi chapter 4, it refers to the Messiah coming and that he, that he would be the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Yes. Now, I've taught this before, but it's, it's good for all the people who are first-time guests. And what that means in wings wasn't like a bird. What it means is that in those days, Jesus would have wore this. It was a prayer shawl representing righteousness. It was actually what Jesus referred to when he talks about getting into your prayer closet. Some of us have taken that, and we've actually made room in a physical closet. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Given that culture and time, they didn't really have a closet the way we have closets. But the wording and the verbiage, what it was, was literally that prayer shawl. Getting under that prayer shawl. And what they would do, and uh, we have some people here that, uh, that are involved in the Jewish, or have come out of that, and it's amazing. But the prayer shawl, they would, they would put it over them and literally wrap their face. And then they take a step back, and then they would take a step forward. And that's how they start their prayer. A lot of symbolism. But it's about separating yourself from the environment around you. So you can only focus on you and God. But at the end, in the corners of the prayer shawl were the strings. And in the strings, it was the works of obedience of the law. 
And we have to remember that Jesus did not come in the New Testament even though his, his life is laid out in the Gospels which are in the New Testament. He came in the Old Testament. Because the New Testament means covenant or contract and that has to be uh, established by the shedding of blood. Yeah. A blood covenant. Yeah. Where did that happen? On the cross of Calvary. So it's the end of these Gospels that is the initiation of the New Testament. So when Jesus it came, he, didn't, he said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So he came to fulfill under the old covenant what they could not do, but God could do through man, through a virgin birth, his son. And he fulfilled it. So what those strings represent, they, put, they would create knots from those loose strings, representing the acts of righteousness, the acts of obedience. See, we're the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. You can never be right enough in your works to earn salvation. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. So on those strings, they would not. Every time you're in obedience, you would not. And Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the Father. The works that I do are not me. It's the Father doing the works. The words that I say are not my words. It's the Father. So he was in complete alignment. Hebrews 1 tells us that he was the expressed image of the invisible God. So if you want to know the heart of the Father, look to the Son. You don't go to obscure verses in the Old Testament that are so vague and are shadows of things to come and try to figure out the nature of God. You go and you look to the life of Jesus. He is the expressed image, the visible image of the invisible God, the Bible says. And so he would have these, all these knots because he was in complete obedience to the Father to the point of him telling the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so as a result of that prayer shawl of righteousness would be these strings, these knots. And so when she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, it wasn't the hem of clothes. It was those knots at the end of the prayer shawl. She said, if I can touch. So she knew she had heard the Messiah was here. And she knew the word, if that's the Messiah, there will be healing in his wings or in those knots. So if I can get to where there's healing, if I can get to the point, the place, the point, the contact of healing, I know I shall be healed. Say she heard. Come on, say she heard. And once she heard it, she didn't just hold it, she kept saying it. For she said within herself, if I can touch, if I can make contact, if I can catch it this way, if I can get a hold of what Jesus has done that I cannot do, I can have what Jesus has, what I could not earn. If I can get a hold of what he can do and only he can do it, I can have the reward of his obedience where I could not do it on my own, but I can receive. You can't receive the, obe- the results of the obedience of somebody else. You can by grace through faith. That's what salvation is. He took your place so you can have and took your punishment so you can have the reward of his obedience. He didn't deserve to go to the cross. They didn't take his life. He laid his life down. Who killed Jesus? He laid his life down. He was so powerful that they couldn't take him unless, I mean, he just opened his mouth. That's why in the Old Testament it says that he went where his mouth was closed because the moment he opened his mouth, things changed. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I'm over here. They all fell down. 
He knew what was going on. He knew the will of the Father. He knew the sacrifice being paid. And he is having to prop up these guys. I mean, Peter whacks off one of their ears, the servant's ear, and he's like, wait a minute, Peter, don't do it. Come on, you're slowing this whole process down. I want to get through this process. Picks up the ear, puts him on his head, be healed. They couldn't kill Jesus. They couldn't take, he had to lay his life down. The mean soldiers, who are you here for? Jesus, oh, I am him. They fall down. Come on, guys, come on, let me help you out. Get your sword out. Get the angry face going. Come on, get it up. I need you. Come on, here we go. Here we go. I got to go to the cross. I got to get this done. I'm paying, I'm taking the sins of the world upon myself and paying a price. You don't understand. You're just the natural, but, and he was so powerful. And he even told the disciples uh, and told the people around him, don't cry for me. Don't you realize I could ask the Father? And he would send, what was it, six legion of angels and if you want to understand the power of an angel, one angel in the Old Testament wiped out a whole army. We figured out one time, and don't quote me, I, have to, I bet this, I believe it was like, the, the amount is like 72,000 angels. He's saying, listen, all I need to do is open my mouth and I could bring so many angels that they would wipe these guys up. He laid his life down. And so what did she do? She heard of the prophecy. She heard the word. She heard the true word. And when she heard the true word, she began to also repeat it. Once you hear it, repeat it. How do you make room for God? Hear the word. Hear the word. Speak the word. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. Joshua 1, 6 through 10. It says, meditate on the word day and night that you may observe to do all according to it. And then you shall find and make your way prosperous and successful. What did she do? She kept hearing the word. Little word, little faith. Little faith, not much going on. For Jesus said to the centurion soldier, I have not seen such great faith. You say, Pastor, all you need is a mustard seed. But you don't understand, that's not little faith. That's mustard seed faith. And though it's the smallest seed, it contains the greatest DNA to produce a huge tree. A lot of people take that saying, no, I don't need to read the word because I don't need much faith because God can use a little faith and yet it's not working their life. We got to get the word in our life. Meditate in the word. And when you get that revelation, that faith, so you need, a, you need the saturation of a lot of word to get the revelation, which seems like a little mustard seed. They, they don't have a little faith. They have a little word. That's a better way of saying it. They, I got a little word. You don't have a little faith. They think they have a little faith. They just got a little word. But you need a lot of word to get a little faith. You got to do a lot of mining to get to the gold. But as you get a lot of word, in the lot of word of hearing it and reading it and understanding, the Holy Spirit will reveal the, a truth to you. And that's the little faith that produces a big result. And it'll stir you, it excites you, why? Because you heard it, it's come alive to you. Psalms 119, the entrance of his word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Matthew 13, the person who receives the seed of the word in their heart was the ones who received it with understanding. So you, had, you don't get full understanding from every word. It, it, it's just a human thing. We, we get distracted. We only hear half of what's being said. But as you meditate on it and keep coming back to it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it, faith is produced. 
and that seed of faith might seem sm small, but it'll produce great results. She heard. Say she heard. We're going to make room for God. That's one of the things that I believe why God's placed on our heart. Since this 21 days of prayer and fasting, we've continued. Every day we do a Bible study. Monday through Thursday. 11 o'clock. Except for Wednesdays. We swap it. And then we do prayer. Prayer meeting. Corporate prayer meeting every day. At 12 o'clock. Come, join us. Check it out. Why? Because we need more than just a little word. We don't need... Little word to fight some big problems. We need big word. Amen. And the problems get real small. Jesus spent hours with the Father and moments defeating the devil. Most Christians spend moments with the Father and hours trying to cast the devil out. Maybe we need to follow the Jesus pattern. Well, if I do that, I might be radical. I might be weird. No, you only be weird if you're already weird. And God can take that out of you. Amen. Jesus never makes people weird. They were just weird before. They were born weird. Why? I don't know. One day I'll ask. But you know what? That doesn't matter. Jesus still loves them. Jesus loves all of us. And the weirdness can be taken out of us. In fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the better you are in life. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Proverbs 4, the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter. She heard. Say, she heard. Yes. Number two, she believed. She believed because, how do I know she believed? Because if you don't believe, you don't move. Right. Well, I believe God can do that. Then what are you doing? What's your, faith without works, James says, is dead. Action follows your belief. If you really believe something, you'll move towards something. If you really believed it, you would move toward it. You would move to do it. You would, you would participate in the process. If you really believed it. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, I don't got time to go to church, or I don't have time to read the Bible, or I don't have, uh, I don't have money to give to the kingdom of God, I got my own stuff, and that's fine. It's their loss. But it's amazing how people who say they don't have enough of anything finds it in the world of catastrophe. A loved one go to the hospital, and all of a sudden you have enough time to be at the hospital. Or if they have a favorite hobby, if you find somebody with a favorite hobby, they've spent some money on that hobby. I'm not saying you shouldn't have hobbies, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be busy. I'm just saying it's amazing how the devil convinces us of what we don't have until all of a sudden we're in the battles of life against the enemy. And now somehow we find how to make that work. Where if we can figure out how to utilize what we have and give it to God, God can take that little that you think you don't have in the scarcity of life and say, God, I don't feel like I have much time, but I'm giving you what I have. And God said, I'll take what you're giving me and I'll multiply it. And now you'll see that you have more time than you had before. Now, now, instead of taking three hours to stress about the problem, you can have it fixed in 30 minutes, and you just made two and a half hours. Now you're like, man, I, I got so much time. I don't know what's going on. Because what you sow, you shall reap. Again, the offering's over, but how many people here found out even in tithing? You give the first 10%, and now you're like, how in the world am I going to manage what I have on 90%? And God turns it around, and you have more afterwards with 90% than you did with 100%. Why? I don't understand everything. I just participate in the process. I don't know how my car works, but I participate in the process by driving it. I don't know how my TV works, but I enjoy watching it. 
I don't have to understand everything. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about that. You know what I mean? In the kingdom, the guy goes and plants a seed and comes and goes and does not know how it works, but it still produces fruit. Yeah. Obeying God always works. Amen. She heard, and therefore she believed. She believed. What did she believe? She believed that he is the Messiah. She believed that he's the healer. She believed that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. She knew if I can make contact with his obedience, I can reap a result that changes my life. And listen to my heart. There is a balance to every truth. There is a balance to every truth. Never go to the extremes. Some people will be like, well, it's not about you getting anything on this side of eternity. It's about you just obeying God and just one day get to heaven and, and maybe you'll get something on that side. But why do I need that something on that side? When God says, listen, I want to do something for you on this side. It's okay to say, I'm connecting with God because I know my life is better if I'm right with God. I'm connected with God because I know my marriage is more fulfilling if I'm connected with God. I, I'm connected with God because I know the problems that come in life, I can handle them better and not be knocked off track and not be sidetracked and hurt and wounded because I have God with me and God in me and I'm in Him. It's okay to see the reward of knowing God. Oh, I don't think we should ask and expect anything from God. Then Hebrews eleven six again tells you you're not in faith because anybody without faith is impossible. Please him for when you come to him, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God, I want to be in your presence today because the day is so much better with you. You think God gets mad at that? She's saying, I got to get a hold of him because if I can make contact with him, it's going to revolutionize my life. It's going to revolutionize my income. It's going to revolutionize my marriage. It's going to revolutionize my career. It's going to, it's going to change everything. And for this woman, it was about to change everything because she did not have a right to even be in public. She heard, she believed, and she moved. God rewards those who diligently seek him. She had to take a risk. She had, to, she had to take something that was scarce. Her energy, her life, and risk it. Because she wanted something greater. She wanted a connection with Jesus. Scarcity. Limiting of whatever. Have you ever noticed God will ask for what you don't think you have? Little boy's lunch. Woman with a little bit of oil. He works with what is scarce because that's of value to you, but it also demonstrates his power to do. I'm not asking you for anything that's scarce in your life. I'm not even going to take up another offering. That's not the point. The point is God will say, I want to do something that so blows your mind. I'm going to take what you think is you don't have anything of value, and I'm going to use that if you give it to me. Give me that time. Give me that offer. Give me whatever it is. And he'll say, listen, give me that little that you think is scarce because it is of value because you see it as it maybe is not important. You might try to protect it because you don't have much of it. But it's the world of scarcity that God's saying it's important to you, but it, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of it. But if you give it to me, I'm going to do something amazing with it. Amen. Just in, even in the story of Elijah, remember Elijah? And he was getting ready to go head to head with all the prophets of Baal. And he had already found in the prophecies that God said, if you serve me, you're going to be blessed. And here's one of the, some of the blessings. But if you stop serving me and begin to worship other gods, one of the things is you're going to have no rain and you're going to have 
some problems on your hand. And so Elijah said, oh, I didn't realize that. So what did he do? He began, he commanded and spoke, no rain. And it didn't rain, so they were in a famine. And then he's decided, I'm going to deal with these prophets of Baal. So he got all the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them, and saying, I'll let you go first. Let's both sacrifice to our God, and the God who answers by fire will be the true God. You remember this story? Which is the little sense of humor of God, because for the prophet to say it, he's hearing from God. He was the voice of God on the earth. And understanding in the Old Testament, when God would accept an offering, he would always consume it with fire. That's why Cain and Abel, why one knew their offering was accepted and the other wasn't, because of the absence or the existence of fire burning. Wouldn't that be cool to operate today? But now we have this, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, going back to the story. And so he knew that if God accepted the offering, that he would consume it with fire. And so he let them, the prophets of Baal, and they begin to cry out to their God, and, and they begin to beat themselves and cut themselves and scream out to their God. And instead of getting uptight, Elijah just began to mock him. Why don't you pray louder? Maybe he's distracted. One translation says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Right. <laughs> don't you love that? Can you imagine? The, huh, yeah, just, just totally in their face. And then finally they gave up. Are you listening to me? Your enemy's about to give up. Your enemy's about just to give up and quit trying because it's not working for him anymore. It's not working for him anymore. I just sensed that in my spirit. Did you feel that when I said it? See, that's not me. That's not my idea. That's, that's God speaking. And all of a sudden, you sensed it in your spirit. And that's why you responded because we, we all deal with enemies. But it's another thing from someone just to say, and you're like, yeah, whatever, all of a sudden. It, but when it goes forth and sent as a prophetic word, it makes a difference. Look to your neighbor and say, my enemy's given up. And so Elijah said, okay, here's my turn. And he, he said, now let's, let's put all this wood here and let's put, dig a little ditch around it. And he said, let's put, pour water on the altar uh, of the sacrifice, of the blood sacrifice, and let's see what God does. And most people would think, and I always thought, oh, that's because he's wanting to really show God can even deal with the water. But then this came across my world and I thought, I never saw this before. Maybe it wasn't because he's trying to make it look harder for God. He needed something that was scarce. They were living in a famine because they had no... Who would be the only one that would have water? It'd be the king. See, it was the king's wife that was the crazy one. She's the one that said, I'm going to kill Elijah. But the king was excited about it. So he asked the king, give me what is valuable to you that is scarce to everybody else. Almost sounds like I'm getting ready to do an offering, and I'm not. <laughs> he, have you ever thought about that? He asked from the king, to, I want you to give me something that's scarce and pour it on the altar. Why? Because you know what? A lot of times we want God to do something and keep ourselves out of it. We want to be neutral to the miracle of God in our own lives. Human nature. I don't want to take a risk. I want to be neutral in this whole risk factor, and I'll let God do the miracle. And the woman with the issue of blood could not do it in a safe zone. She had to do it in a, a risk zone. Why? Because she had to push through the crowd. 
if one person would have recognized what she was pushing, again, she was exhausted, again, lost a lot of blood, so physically it was hard, but even socially, culturally, if they would have saw her, they could have stoned her on the spot. You want to know why some people see more miracles than others? Maybe it's not because God loves them more than, no, God's not a respecter of persons. Maybe they're so desperate for God, they're like, God, I don't care what the cost is, I'm getting, I'm going to make a contact with you. We don't know. We don't know what people deal with on the backside. Some people come to church like, oh, so I, we've had people in church that they were coming and their, their spouse was abusive. And we're not in abuse. I don't believe you should be ever abused, physically, emotionally, physically. But and this, this is years ago. And she would come home. After she would come home from church, her husband would be drunk and would beat her for coming to church. You don't know what people are dealing with who are sitting near you. Sometimes we'll criticize, I wish they wouldn't praise so loud. You don't know what price they're paying to be in the house of God. We've created a culture of comfort and ease and pleasure. And you don't know the price people are paying to get to the oil. A price they're paying to be in the house of God. She was like, I'm getting what I, what my portion from heaven. If it's available to me, I'm getting to that hymn. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to the obedience of Jesus. I'm making my connection with the Messiah, regardless of the risk or the price. I, it, my family, my friends might turn on me one day, because, but I'm going for Jesus. I'm going to serve him with all my heart. I'm going to spend time praying. They might not understand it. They might stop inviting me places, but that's okay. If that's the price I have to pay, that's the price because I know there's something greater in the anointing. I know there's something greater in Jesus. I know I'm talking to a group of people that said, hell or high water, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to serve God. I'm not letting the threats of the Goliath or the giants or the enemy or society keep me back from what God has for me. If that's you, take the next 30 seconds and give them a praise and let everybody know you're in that crowd. You're in that group. Don't let the devil intimidate you from what belongs to you. She moved with compassion. She moved with purpose. She was acting even if there was a risk to it. God, it doesn't make sense. And there's people that have seen the blessing of God. But I guarantee you, in their journey, there was a place in their journey that they moved and God spoke to them. I want you to give this. And in their mind, they say, that will bankrupt me. That will mess with my finances. I can't explain that. That doesn't make sense. But they said, God, beyond my reasoning, I have a resolve. Your word, your spirit has revealed for me to do that. And I'm going to risk it and obey you. And I'll let you do the impossible. But I want you to know, I'm not doing it out of convenience or comfort. I'm not doing it what I can handle. I'm obeying you regardless of the price. And when you live that way, not saying you make it up, but when God speaks to you to obey, regardless of the price, I'm going to obey you. Where are the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the house saying, no? king we're not gonna bow we're not gonna kiss your idol we want you to know our god is well able but even if he doesn't we want you to know you can't stop us from serving god find me somebody that's accessed the heaven's blessing of finances and take them back in their journey and you'll find somebody who took a risk one day out of obedience to god 
find me someone who understands faith and their healing and I'll show you somebody if they'll walk you through their journey somewhere in their journey they came to the crossroad of life and they said I know what the doctor says but I know what God is speaking to me and if all men be liars and God be true I'm taking you at your word I'm following you I'm going to obey you regardless of the cost Find me somebody who likes the clean, pretty, controlled, management Christian life, and you'll find somebody who has form but no power. Who on the outside look pretty, but the inside is dead men's bones. Because you do not get resurrection life until you're willing to deal with death. You have to lay something at the altar. And saying it's not fun, it's not pleasing to my natural, it's not pleasing to my social, it's not pleasing to my fine. It, it feels like it hurts, but I'm laying it down out of obedience. Not what man tells you, but what God tells you to do. And you lay your life down, and that's when resurrection happens. We want God to move, but we want to be a spectator in our own life. And it doesn't work like that. God always asks people to do something unnatural to represent their faith. Remove the stone. Take your hand, uh, your withered hand out. To take it, the man in the temple, to take his withered hand out would identify he had a defect. And to identify you have a defect, you were cast out of the temple. It was, do you trust me enough to take a risk that could cost you something? The church world corporately has built buildings that are beautiful and drawn masses of crowds, but they have drawn crowds of people that are only wanting something for their own comfort. And when risk shows up, they run to another church. That's why there's a balance to this truth. He will reward you. It will change your life, but it will cost you something also. You cannot be a spectator in the miracle of God in your own life. You can't play in the waters of safety and safe zone and expect God to do the impossible. I'm not saying create yourself an issue. Don't do something stupid just because you thought of it. Don't look for something weird and try. No, obey God. And when God asks you, what is he doing? Are you willing to lay me, lay yourself down? Lay that down so that I can resurrect it. Scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture. Abraham, are you willing to lay Isaac down? Are you willing to lay the promise down? Are you willing to lay the miracle down? And God said, because he was willing to give his only son, I'm going to give my son. I see what you're willing to do. Not because he wanted to, but the Bible says that he was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded. Why would someone ever lay down and take a risk? Because they become fully persuaded, Romans 4. They have a resolve on the inside of them that's greater than the reason in their mind. Even in Abraham's story, check it out, check it out. When he was taking up Isaac up to the place to sacrifice him, he said, he said, he said, the servants, you stay here, and me and my son will be back. He wasn't lying to them. He wasn't deceiving them. He wasn't trying to spin it so that they wouldn't understand. He said, me and the boy will be back. We are going up to worship. Most people think worship's got a beat and a clap to it. I'm telling you, the greatest worship is when you begin to say what God is saying and do what God tells you to do and willing to lay something down. 
Me and the boy, we're going to go up to worship God and we will be back. It wasn't a misspeak. It wasn't just casual talk because the Bible says he was fully persuaded that God was able to resurrect his son after he did what God told him to do. If I do this, I might lose my job. Don't do it because I said anything. When God speaks to you, whatever it seems like you're losing, he can resurrect it. Why do people take a risk? Because they're, they have a resolve on the, am I talking to somebody today? They have a resolve on the inside of their spirit. They have a resolve in their belief system that whatever God asked for, it's not because he's trying to remove it out of my life. He's trying to change it and bring it back or bring something better into my life. If I'm willing to lay it down, I'm going to take a risk. It's going to take, it might cost me every energy to push through that crowd because Peter said, there's so many people what do you mean who touched me but he realized there was a touch that did not come from convenience or interest it was a touch that came out of desperation that comes out of resolve i'm risking everything to get to you but i know once i touch you my life will be changed forever not everybody wants that and there's a lot of churches in the world that will sing pretty, everything's geared towards you, everything makes you feel comfortable, and God bless you, have a wonderful week, and you look just like the world. And people say, why isn't God doing the impossible? Because when he speaks to you, you rebuke him. I want you to give this offering, I curse that in the name of Jesus. Once you go to your neighbor and, pray and forgive them, I refuse to do that in the name of Jesus. God will ask you to do something that it looks like it might change your brand, your reputation, your account, whatever. But when he's asking you to do that, it's not so that he makes it hard on you. He knows that there is death residing in your thinking or your living, and he wants to bring resurrection. Get to the place that you can say it's no longer i that lives but christ who lives in me and the life i live i live by faith in the son of god am i talking to somebody if you believe that give him a praise hallelujah she heard she believed she moved even against opposition this water this water mentality that the Holy Spirit only leads you to the place of least resistance. Check it again. Check it again. Talk to Israel as they were going to the promised land. Check it again. But they, when, the, when Caleb and Joshua came back, the other spies said, Oh, it's, it's awesome. It is awesome. That fruit is huge. It, it is a land that flow, flows with milk and honey. It is so wonderful. But there's some giants there. There's some obstacles. There's a risk there. Come on. They are giants, and we are grasshoppers, even in their sight. How do they know what they look like in the, menta in the mentality? Have you, have you ever thought about that? Did they interview one of the giants? Excuse me, pardon me. We're just looking at things. How do we look to you? Oh, you look like a grasshopper. Thank you. That's all we needed. Thank you for filling out the survey. We'll send you a free gift online. Thank you. We'll develop a perception of what others are thinking that we're not even sure of. And the problem with that, and God called it a wicked report. The problem with that it was that it was, are you listening? The problem with it was that it, not that it was inaccurate. 
We define accuracy as truth. There's gi- it looks great, but there's giants in the land, and we're grasshoppers. All of those are true. That's factual. But God said that's an evil report. Why was it an evil report? Because it, it was out of alignment with truth. Because Joshua and Caleb said, sure, there's giants in the land, but they'll be bread for us because God is with us. One saw themselves in light of the problem. The other saw themselves in light of the promiser. I don't know, it seems like I'm going into possible flames, a lion's den. What am I going to do? That's impossible. With God, it's no big deal. How do, in closing, how do we make room for God? Number one, we have to hear. She heard the word. She heard people speaking it. She knew the prophecies. And then she began to say it herself. She kept staying on the word. Number two, as she heard it, she believed. Because as you hear it, you're going to get faith. As she believed, then she acted because faith without works is dead. As she acted, there was there in the motion, there is opposition. In the motion, if, if listen, if you're obeying God and the devil's applauding you, If you go to obey God and demons lay out the red carpet. If you obey God and everybody loves the idea. You might need to take a step back and go back in and praise a little more. Because opposition doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. Sometimes opposition means you're on the right path. When the fire comes, the rats will start running and scurrying. Don't get upset. Oh, there's rat. there was rats before. You just didn't see them. But now the heat has drawn them out. Don't worry about the heat drawing them out. Because they're on their way. She heard. She believed. She moved. As a result, she made a connection and she experienced. He's, so he's the God of the impossible. Come on, say he's the God of the impossible. We just had a, a dear lady who actually, they had moved a couple hours away, and so they haven't moved back, even though they should. Um, but they watch us online. They've done the fasting, and I'm at a stage of life and ministry. Before, we would just tell people, you know, uh, you're, God bless you, you decide. I'm telling people, no, you need to be in the, the right house. Not every, house not, every, not every church is the same. Eternity is too long, too real. And I'm okay now saying, if, if you're watching online and you feel like there's anointing here and the word here, you need to be here, move. And people look at you and say, you tell people to move for a church? Have you ever heard anybody move for a job? Oh, well, yeah. That's... So now we know your perspective of what's most important. A secular job and a paycheck or eternity. That's tough for all of us. Mm. Well, there's other churches. There's a lot of churches, but that doesn't mean they're the right church. You need to find out. It's like there's a lot of people. It doesn't mean you need to try to marry them all. You better find the right one. See my point? Because behind the scenes, it might not be what you thought it was. Hallelujah. So, but anyways, they were 
participate in 21 day fast and they just sent a testimony in this past week. She had had cataract surgery and they said as a result of the way the cataract was that she was going to have floaters in her eye. And said, come back in a month, we'll look and see if that's the case. Came back a month later, sure enough, came back to the next visit. Yep, we need to schedule it. Scheduled the appointment for have laser surgery to get rid of the floaters. Came back to have it done, all floaters disappeared. The power of God. People, just a few weeks ago, who came down and had cancer and a tumor, and they pray, came for prayer on a Sunday morning. Monday went for the biopsy, gone. Gone. Financial miracles, physical miracles, spiritual miracles. People, I'm going to go check out that church and brought some of their grandkids and, that are teenagers, and they get saved. God is doing something amazing. Over 200 people water baptized. You know what that did? That stirred my faith. We thought God was really blessing us when we would water baptize over 100 people. Now I feel like I'm failure on that. I'm going to change. I'm going to challenge. You say you shouldn't compete and compare. No, but I'm using it as a challenge to my faith. That when we do water baptism in the summer, wouldn't it be cool to have 200 people get water baptized? We have to definitely do more than just me doing it. Hallelujah. But if I'm going to use my faith, let's use our faith to impact the world. Impact, let God work through us. Stay in that posture poor. Because I'm telling you, as I started, I'm telling you, the weight of God's goodness that he has for you is too big for you to manage and handle on your own. But if you let him do it through you, Stay available for him to work through you. You'll look back one day and say, how in the world? Look what God has done in my life. Look what God has brought me. You don't build an empire of a business overnight. You start with a small company and keep growing. And one day you look and it's grown. Whatever it might be in your life, your marriage, your finance, your health. We're going to stay in a posture of poor because God wants to do the impossible not only in you, but through you. Amen. If you bow your head and close your eyes, if you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you know about God, I'm not asking you to join a church or denomination religion. This question is purely one-sided. And the way you process and the way you experience and the way you understand, is Jesus Christ real to you today in a way that you know for yourself that he's really your Lord and Savior? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. Revelation 3, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open up, I'll come in. God will never force himself on you. You have to open up, respond to his invitation. How do I know when the Lord is dealing with me? You'll know on the inside. You'll know it's time to move because you know salvation is today. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son who died on the cross for you at Calvary. You don't you don't have to live with that pain, that dark cloud, that shame, that sin, that addiction. You can be free from that, free from that torment. All comes through salvation. It all comes through salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and say, Pastor, I, I don't have a real relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and say, I used to, but for whatever reason, I've allowed stuff to come between me and God, and I know my heart's not right. If either one of those are you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Let it come from your heart. Church, if that's not you, I want you to quietly pray. 
for those who God is dealing with right now. No one moving around. Say with me, if you do not know him, say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I turn to you today. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day, rose again for me. Because I believe that, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me in your blood. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I open up the door of my heart and life and I invite you in to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen and amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to speak a blessing of your life. I believe one of the things that's lacking in the modern-day church is a tenacity, a strength. People come out of the closet all the time and, and march, and when they, they have a constitutional right to march, but it's amazing how they try to shut the Christians down. And I'm not saying that we're rude or arrogant, but I'm just saying when it comes to standing against temptation or, or uh, opposition of the enemy, we need a tenacity in the house of God. We need a tenacity in the people of God so that we're not pressured to bow our knee to anything the devil tries to throw at us. We don't need to be fooled, tricked, pressured. No, you, you follow God regardless of the opposition, regardless of temptation, regardless of what the enemy offers. There needs to be a tenacity. That's not just a willpower, but that is a spiritual strength within you. The Bible tells us that we can be strong in the strength of the Lord. Be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, the Bible tells us. So there's a spiritual ability for you to stand against temptation and to live for Jesus. The world's going to get darker. It's going to get crazier as we get to the last of the last days. But that's not a bad thing because as children of God, we should shine brighter. We're the light to the world. Okay? So it, we should be exempt from all that stuff. Not that you don't see it, but it doesn't impact you. Why? Because you're the one making the impact. Amen. 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 And so if you prayed that prayer for salvation, so I know who I'm praying with, and also I want to speak a blessing over your life. I'm not going to ask you to come down here, but I do want you to stand to your feet at the count of three. I want you to stand to your feet and stay there, and we're going to speak a blessing over your You're like, Pastor, I don't know if I want to stand in front of people I don't know. I get it. I totally get it. But that's the point. As hard as it is to stand in front of people you don't know who will be clapping for you, how do you stand for Jesus in a crowd in the world who's trying to talk you out of them? Every one of us have to cross that point. Not for salvation, but for tenacity. So if you prayed that sinner's prayer, if you prayed that prayer, you know Jesus answered and you're, you're saved. Today is your day. We want to celebrate with you. Heaven celebrating, we want to be a part of this party. At the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. Now, if you're bold, stand quick so the people who are shy can be encouraged. But if you prayed that prayer and mean business with God, at the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. Stand now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. That's two. Thank you. God bless you. That's three. Thank you. God bless you. Four, five. Think six, seven. God bless you. Anybody else? One in the portico. Eight. God bless you. Anybody else? Stay standing. Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? I, I really feel in my spirit there's more people. We'll give you a few more seconds. Come on. Keep clapping, church. One, two, three, four, five, six. God bless you. Seven, eight, nine, ten. 
11. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let me be the first to say welcome to the family of God. We, we, we celebrate. This is a great day. This is an amazing day. You're part of God's family. You're part of our family. Amen. Freedom, stand up. After the service, if you, if you want us to be a part in any area, answer questions, uh, help you find a Bible if you don't have one, get you connected. Uh, Freedom's one of our care pastors. He'll stay down here to the front. Miss Debbie's in the information center across the hall. Let them know. But we will not control your life. We don't chase people. We're here to help you. But we will never control your life. We don't pressure people. We don't control and manipulate people. You have to drive the car of your life. Amen. But we're here for you. We're here for you. We want to congratulate you. We're going to speak a blessing over your life. But let me encourage you. Three things. Number one, okay, get a Bible. If you don't have one, I mean, there's, you got the apps and reading plans. That's a great way to start. But if you want a physical Bible and don't have one, we'll help you. Get in the Word every day. Don't start at the beginning. Like a normal book, no, start at the Gospel of John. Start there and then go to Galatians and Ephesians, but start at the Gospel of John. You're like, why not start at the beginning? If you start in Genesis, eventually you'll get to the begats and then you'll be gone. No one goes through the begats and makes it through that, all right? There, that's like a war zone there. There's a lot of people have died on that battlefield. Start in the Gospel of John. That's the New Testament. Find out who Jesus is. And then get into the, the epistles, which are the books of letters to the churches. That's who we are. Don't read Job. Don't read, no, get into the New Testament, okay? Number one, get a Bible. Start reading every day, a little bit, whatever. You know, I mean, just work it out. Number two, and that's for all of us, right? Number two, get a church. We want you to be part of this church family. Don't look at convenience. Don't say, I'm going to find one that's a little closer to my house because they're not all the same. We want you to get to heaven, and we want you to be successful in this life so that you have your full reward. Amen? Be a part of, be a part of hope. Be part of hope. It makes a difference. I didn't used to be so straightforward about that, but I am now in, in, in people's face. You know what I mean? Because we'd say, find a good church. You know what people would do? They'd go to some, because the devil's, if he can't stop you, he'll sidetrack you and get you distracted. So we're going to celebrate your victories. We're going to stand with you in, in, in challenges and fights and pray for you. We're a praying church. Amen. So don't get, get a Bible, get a church, and get a cause. Okay? What's a cause? You don't, don't tell everybody, but let the Lord show you to, who to speak to. You need to tell somebody. Be a part of helping somebody else. And you're like, I just got saved. I don't know much. You know more than the friends that have never gotten saved. Even if it's like in the, in the uh, Gospels where you go up to one of your friends and say, come and see. You got to check this thing out. And these people let people take money out of the offering box. Just for that alone, you need to come check that out. That's just weird. It's the weirdest thing. They got, a, they got a full grocery store that's free to people. That clothing store of new clothes that's free. Don't make sense. You got to check this out. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Invite somebody. Be a part of helping somebody get saved. Because if you just keep it to yourself, it, it's like drying up. You got to keep thinking. Keep the position to poor. Amen? Get a Bible. Get a church. Get a cause. All right? And then we're here for you. Let us know. Stretch your hands toward these wonderful, beautiful people we call our family. Father, we thank you for every person that's saved, that's given their heart to the Lord. We thank you for your healing, strength, and life. We thank you for forgiveness and deliverance and victory. We curse and bind any tactic the enemies used in the past to hold them back. And we free them into the liberty and all that you have for them because of the blood of Jesus. And Father, if there's people in their inner circle friendships that have an assignment from hell to hold them back, I ask you to remove them out of their life and bring twice as many 
good, godly friends into their life. In Jesus' name. Now we speak a blessing over their life according to your word. We ask you to strengthen them with might by your Holy Spirit in their inner person. As they leave here today, they're not only saved, they are anointed and empowered by you. To stand for you, to live for you, and to reach other people. And we give you praise. And everyone said, amen. amen. And everyone shouted, amen. amen. You may be seated. Go ahead. You may be seated. God bless you. Hallelujah. Are you glad you came to church today? Let me speak a general blessing and healing over all of our lives. Father, in everyone who's sick, we curse and bind sickness and disease off their life. All bacteria, all viruses, everything the enemy would try to use to steal, kill, and destroy, we curse and bind it, all pain. Lord, I thank you. You've answered these prayers before. We've seen people even in the hallways get healed. For it's not by might nor by power, but by your spear. We, we curse and bind the enemy's tactic, and I speak life into every part of their body, in their finances, their marriages. We thank you for life as we continue to obey you. We give you praise. And now, Father, I speak a blessing over their life out of number six. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful day. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.